Martin Luther, the great reformer, addressed the pastor's role in facing the greatest evil of his day by saying this. If I profess with the loudest and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proven. And to be steady on all battlefronts besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. May it never be said of Redemption Hill Church that we address every portion of Scripture except that point which the world and devil are attacking most. As you all know and you can see here, our mission, we exist to glorify God by living out His mission as a community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get our cues from God, His glory is supreme, and His gospel is what motivates and drives all that we do. And so as I stand here before you this morning, I want to ask for much grace. And because I realize that this is a very difficult issue. You may even be thinking, John, it's cruel to address such an issue. These are things that should not even be spoken about in public. But if we don't address these issues, how will those women and men sitting in silence ever find forgiveness and healing? So we must address these issues, but we must deal with grace and truth, and that is my goal today. Now, I do understand that the South Carolina primary was yesterday, but I want you to know I I could give a rip about being Republican or Democrat, and that is not my concern today. This is not a political issue. This is an issue with who our God is and what God's plan is for life. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 139. I would encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and be turning there. Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, we've actually got some in the chairs in front of you there. It's on page 521 in the Bibles that we have provided. And we're going to be going through Psalm 139, but with a specific view to the implications on the sanctity of human life, specifically abortion. But first, let me offer a word of hope to those touched by abortion, women, to those who have had abortions, men who may have encouraged or even demanded it, grandparents that may have supported it, doctors who have performed it, leaders who have permitted it, and maybe even Christians who have done nothing for the cause of abortion. I know you are here. I want you to reflect with me. In the U.S., there are 1.4 million abortions every year, 3,000 every day, and one every 20 to 25 seconds. I also know that, a, that one out of three women in the U.S. will have an abortion by the time they turn 45. One out of three women. This is on Planned Parenthood's website as you go there, as they're trying to say, hey, you're not alone. They're acknowledging, hey, look, look at all the women that are having abortions. So the chances are high, really high, that we have men and women, parents, 
that have been directly touched by this issue. Also know that if this is you, that this may be a very painful message for you to hear. But I want you to know this. My aim is not to make you miserable. That is not my goal. I want to take us to the text, and I want to take us to the God of mercy, to the God of hope, where we do find forgiveness, but we also find guidance for life. But I want you to reflect with me on a conversation that Jesus had when he was with his disciples. The Pharisees came to him and they said, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? We might even put in there those who give and get abortions. Why, why, does, your, why does Jesus eat with these people? And do you know what Jesus responds? He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now here's what I want you to get. I stand before you here today as a sinner myself. I am another sinner who has found mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, and I have failed in many ways. So I don't stand here today as one high and exalted above you. I stand one that has failed in many respects as it relates to the will of God. But I stand here today as one who has found much hope in the grace of God. You see, if you're here today and this is you, you have been directly affected by abortion, I just want you to know from the get-go that there's forgiveness. All sins are wiped away, even abortion. And there is justification over against every sin that you have ever committed. How? The same Jesus who said, I came for the sick. He came and he died and gave his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for you. He bore the wrath of God that we all deserve because of our sin. And through faith in Jesus, you can have forgiveness if you will embrace him as the supreme treasure of your life. This is where we begin, is the gospel. So if you don't, if, if you don't get anything else, I'll say, I want you to get this. And I want you to know this. The main goal today is not to make you pro-life. That is not my main goal. You know what is my main goal today? What would be the greatest thing that would happen would be that you would embrace Jesus as the supreme treasure of your life. That is the greatest. That you would come to him seeing who he is in, in his saving power and find forgiveness and hope. That is my utmost goal. But as we come to know Jesus, we also know that he calls us to radical living. So as, as we head to Psalm 139, I want to challenge everyone to greater and greater passion, sacrifice, and love for the cause of life, both born and unborn. That's where we're headed today. So the main, the main point, the main truth, the main thrust of today is that you should value life because of God's great knowledge, presence, purpose, and pardon. So where do we start as we seek to tackle this issue? We're going to go to Psalm 139 in a second. Um, but I've been, I've been helped by uh, a great 
theologian, one of my favorite authors by the name of A.W. Tozer. And I want you to see a few things that he says here. Um, The first one is this. He says, I believe there's scarcely any error in doctrine or a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect and ignoble thoughts about God. Ethics, this is what we're talking about today. Decisions of life and death, abortion, that is an ethical issue. He traces it to our thoughts about God. And then he says this, the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God and all her prayers and labors. This should have first place. So this is my goal. We're going to look at this great God in Psalm 139. And then we're going to say, what implications might this great God have for how we view life? So one of the first steps in how to tackle this issue is we've got to learn how to remove thoughts of God that limit him and make him small. And we want to replace those with some great thoughts. So in light of that, let's turn to Psalm 139, and I'm going to start reading. So we see that it's to the choir master, and it's a psalm of David. Let's begin here in, in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Let me just pause right here. Look at verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is, these two words, search and know, begin and end this psalm. And so we see at the beginning that God has already searched him and God knows him. And then yet at the very end, he prays again, God, search me still and know me. We see that, that David, who is writing this, wants he wants, God, he wants to be justified before God. He, got, he wants God to know his heart and to be pure and right in all of his ways. So he's coming before God with that mindset. Let's continue on verse two. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, you know it, O Lord, altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. What we see in the first six verses here is the first truth I want to share with you today is this. Value life because God knows you and the unborn intimately. Do you see this knowledge here that is elevated in these first six verses? I mean, just just see what the psalmist here, what David says about God's knowledge. God knows when you sit and when when you rise up. God knows the very thoughts that are going on inside your head and inside your heart. And it says he discerns them from afar. He knows where you walk. He knows which paths you're taking in life. It says he is acquainted with all of your ways. God knows what you're gonna say even before you say it. It says he knows the words on your tongue even before they come out. He knows all of your activities. He knows your inmost thoughts. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. We even see here this idea in verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Now, as you're thinking about God's knowledge in your life, 
this may scare the mess out of you. God knows everything that I do. He knows everything that I think about doing but never do. And he knows it even before I ever even know it or even do it. For some of you, this might even lead to great fear, right? Because now you're contemplating, wow, all of these things in your life that you wish God did not know, but yet he knows. Let's reflect on the knowledge of God, even as we think of knowledge. Let's make sure we have a right concept of God's knowledge. When it says that God, God knows all of this, God doesn't have a hard drive that he stores information and then he goes and retrieves it when he needs it. Do you realize that God has this knowledge immediately? It is there. He doesn't have to type up his computer and do a search and say, oh, there it is and pull it out. He has immediate access to this knowledge. And I want you to think about this. God has never learned anything. He cannot learn. Now, I know many of you in school, and hopefully you're learning every day, and all of us, we're learning. Hopefully you learn something today. We learn that life is about learning. God never learns. Does that maybe lead you to say with the psalmist, this knowledge is too high for me? How wonderful is this knowledge? There are some implications for God's knowledge. I mean, let's just think about it. Would God be God if he did not know all things? I mean, if God did not know all things, how could he predict the future? I mean, we read the scriptures and we see all the time, we're claiming this is the word of God and it's saying these things are gonna happen. How can God predict these things if he does not know? Not only that... This also implies if God knows things that what good would it be if God knew things but could not control things? So we even have here, we don't have a, a ton of time to spend on this, but it, what about God's sovereignty? If, if God can predict certain things, but yet he's not in control, what good is that? And so we see God, God's knowledge, God's sovereignty here. But what about, you may even be thinking this, hey, if God knows all things, even bad things, why doesn't he stop them? If God knows these things even before they happen, if God never learns anything, why does evil exist today? Why, why does he let all of this evil exist? I mean, it's a valid question, right? Why would a good God let evil exist? Well, the answer to that is he's given us more responsibility. He's given us responsibility. He gives us a certain level of freedom to choose right and wrong. You know what? You can hide from me. You can hide your thoughts. You can hide your actions. But you can never hide anything from God. But you know what? For those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for those who know him, this is good news for us. This should not bring fear. I want you to reflect on this. Um, Tozer has another great quote. 
as he continues to think on God's knowledge, he says, no tailbearer can inform on us, no enemy can make an accusation stick, no forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself and the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Here's what I want, this is how this knowledge is so great, that God knows everything about you, and even in light of that, he calls you to himself. And he, he offers his son to pay every sin that you've ever made. This is great knowledge. This is good news. Nobody can ever, you know, the Satan tries to bring accusations against us all the time, and I could see him going before God, hey God, you see this guy right here? Man, he's, a, he's an utter failure, he's a sinner. Have you seen all that junk he's done? God says, yep. I know every single one of them, and I sent my son Jesus to pay for all of it. He knows every single one of your sins you'll ever commit, even before you ever do it. And that's why when you embrace Jesus in the cross, that even your sins that you commit years down the road are taken care of in the cross. There is great hope and forgiveness there. You know what else this encourages us with? Is that God's knowledge reminds me that he hasn't forgotten about me. No matter what you are going through, you know what, you may be going through some very tough things today. God knows. You know what, it's very tempting in the middle of tragedy and trial. Man, where is God? Does God have a clue what's going on in my life? You know what, God knows. And not only does he know, we're gonna find out in the next little section here, he's there. He is near. And so the second truth I want to share with you today is this. Value life because God is with you and the unborn continually. Let's continue on here in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the winds, wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let's just look at these, this word picture. He said, where can we go from the Spirit of God? He says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, this... You've got two polar opposites here. In the Old Testament, a lot of times Sheol doesn't necessarily refer to hell, but just the, those who have died. This, this idea of the abode of the dead there. So you've got, you've got the heavens, you've got death. God is there. You can't escape his presence. And then you see here the wings of the morning. The farthest east where the sun rises to the uttermost parts of the sea, which would have been the far end of the Mediterranean Sea to the west. The east to the west. You've got polar opposites here. You cannot flee his presence. And even in the darkness, he says, dark is light with you. This, again, has two implications. It could bring much fear for your life. As you think about, man, God not only knows, but... He has seen and he is everywhere. He sees, he knows, he is with, 
And God's presence can be there to bless or to curse. What do we see here the psalmist holding firm to? Look here in verse 10. It says, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We see David here was looking at the presence of God and saying, this is good news because I know God is there. He will lead me. He will hold me. He will guide me. He will sustain me. Let me pose a question for you today. What if you spent every moment of your life in the sight and company of an omniscient, omnipresent creator? Do, do we live this way? This past week, did you reflect on God knows everything I'm doing and God is with me? How might that change the way we go about our day-to-day life? So God is with us. Continue. Let's continue on. The third truth I want to share with you today is that we should value life because God created you and the unborn wonderfully. We come to verse 13 here. And verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. For I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Now, what we see here is a particular aspect playing off of verses 11 and 12. You see in 11 and 12, it says, darkness is light with God. So like my kids, my kids love to play hide and seek. You know, if we got some time, you know, they know all the really cool spots in the house. Um, but when you play, you can't play hide and go seek with God. He says, you go to the, the darkness, and it's just as if the sun was out to me. You cannot flee his presence. So, so what David does now, he goes to one of the darkest places. Where does he go? He goes to the mother's womb. You see what's happening here? He's going to the womb of the mother, one of the darkest places, the the, the life of the unborn that none of us see. Now Brandy has the ultrasound, which takes this unseen and makes it visible. But to our trained eyes, we don't see. We just see the the bulge there when it gets a little bigger. Um, He says this about that. That is not hidden from God's sight. That is as light with God. And so let's just look at some of the descriptions here. And this is really, I want to spend the majority of our time that we have left is reflecting on, in light of the sanctity of human life, what does God say about life? And what does this teach us about God and how we should respond to this issue? You see in verse 13, it says, God formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Here's a neat thing about this. Though the unborn is unseen by man, he is never hidden from God. In fact, God knows about the unborn even before we know. You know, you you may find out about it through some morning sickness, um, through a pregnancy test, But God knows even before we know. 
his great knowledge. Not only does he know, he is the one, it says here, that forms. It says, you form my inward parts. And this may be alluding to God creating not just a physical being, but a spiritual being. Inward parts may be referring to the inmost part of who I am. God creates that, and along with knitting together all of the physical aspects of my life. And where does he do it? He does it in the womb. We continue on verse 15. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eye saw my unformed substance. You, you see that language there? Unformed substance. It seems here that the psalmist is referring to the embryonic stage here, the very beginning parts before this baby is becoming fully grown, the unformed substance that God is already at work. And so here is what I want us to think about as the second truth under this is that personhood begins at conception. Where does, where, where does personhood come from? Well, looking at Psalm 139 here, and we could con contrast this with the rest of Scripture, but we see that from the very beginning, God is the one forming. God is knowing. God is at work here. Let me share another Psalm here with you. Psalm 51.5. This is David also. And he says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm saying, okay, what does this mean? David is highlighting in the context of this psalm here that I was born a sinner. Where did sin come from? Why, how do I explain all these actions that I'm doing in my life? That in sin did my mother conceive me, that I was born a sinner when? At conception, at the very beginning. Now, let me just pose a question. Only persons can be considered sinners. Right? And so this idea of sin, if it seems here then that we've got to equate personhood then with conception because only persons can be sinners. So we, we see even David as, as he's thinking about life that he's acknowledging that personhood. And this is what Psalm 139 seems to be easily laying out. God is at work from the very beginning. God is the giver. He is the author of life. Just like in the beginning, he created Adam and Eve. So he gives life to every baby. Not only that, let's continue on. Even when unborn, the Lord had a purpose for the undeveloped embryo. Here's what I want you to see here in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them existed. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of you, including the unborn. He knows it all. He sees it all. And so in, in light of this framework of life, if, if this is true about God, that he is forming, he is working, and he has a plan, how can we take life? And what is the proper response to this? What do we see the psalmist do we see in verse 14 i praise you 
for I am fearfully, wonderfully made. This should be our response. Praise God. He is a great God. His works are wonderful. Do you hear that? This is not just for the unborn, but for you today. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You get your worth not from that boyfriend or that girlfriend or the mom or dad or the affirmation they give you. You get it from God. No matter what anybody says about you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He's all that matters. He knows. He is with you. And so when you live not for others, but you live for God, you realize, will you take this and embrace this with your life? This is true about you, that you find your being in God's creation of who you are. Now, I want to think about some implications here for this and the issue of abortion. As we talk about God being the creator of life, I want to share a quote with you that really, I think, lays out the debate here pretty well. And it's by Greg Kukul, and he says, if the unborn is not human, no justification for abortion is necessary. You get that? So if the unborn, if the embryo, if they're not human, we don't, there's no justification. I mean, we don't need to justify it. It's fine. It's not a human. It's, it's different. But if the unborn is human, no justification for abortion is adequate. Do you see, the issues of this really lie on this question. This, this unformed substance, this embryo, is it human? And we see here in Psalm 139 that that is the implication, that is the truth of Scripture, that God is at work. And I just want to briefly take us back. Genesis chapter 1, we find this, that when God created man and woman, it says that he created them in his image. So he created us in his image. And so we see shortly after that, that murder is never seen justifiable. Now we know the, the Ten Commandments later on. They don't come till Exodus, which says you shall not murder. Well, what about before that? There was no command. Well, we see already in Genesis chapter 4 that unjustifiable killing was a violation of this dignity. You are made in the image of God. We see that, hey, there is killing for animals and for meat and for food, but you will not kill a person because of the image of God. There is something connected there that gives it its dignity. So to be made in the image of God, at least that the aim of God in making us is that we might image forth God. Get this. What does it mean you remain the image of God? It's so that you could live and move and go about life and make much of God. We are created in a way that we can reflect the glory, the beauty of God in a way that nothing else in creation can. That we have been given that. This is why we exist. You want to know, hey, why am I here? What is life all about? This is why you exist, to make much of God, to live for his glory. So now, in light of that, let me share this with you, kind of help clarify what's going on. Abortion is about God because children are made by God in the image of God to the glory of God. He fashions them, values them, knows them, loves them, calls them, and names them. I want you to see a few verses here. 
that I've laid out here. Jeremiah chapter 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You get this? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is going back even before there. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This is a work of God that's going on in the womb. Let's look at this next one here. Psalm 22. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Let's look at this next one here. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, this is Paul, reflecting on the grace of God in his life, and he's like, this was before I was even born. And then one last one, check this. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention. You peoples from afar, the Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. This is our God. This is beautiful. Does not this, man, your life is not a mere accident. And, and for God, this, your life is no accident with God. He knows you intimately. He is with you, and he created you wonderfully. We should value this. So why is abortion wrong? This is why it's wrong. Abortion is wrong because it is an assault on the person-forming work of God in the womb, and it is a failure to be satisfied in God as your supreme love. This is, this is and I want to speak delicately here. Obviously, I mean, the grace of God is there. You've heard me share, there's forgiveness. But when God makes us in his image, Abortion is an assault and saying, God, no. I mean, God's, you, can you just imagine God being right here by this and God saying, hey, I formed, I worked, I knitted, I, man, I named, I called. No. It is an assault against God because God is the author of life. And you see that last part there, which says, it is a failure to be satisfied in God as your supreme love. Just reflect with me here for a second. I know unplanned pregnancy threatens a lot of desires and longings. I mean, that's why abortion happens, right? You get pregnant, it wasn't planned, and you, you don't want it. Why? There may be many reasons there. Maybe you want to please a boyfriend or a husband. Maybe educational, financial career, freedom from morning sickness, diapers, runny noses, sleepless nights, terrible twos, homework, sports, drama, music, whatever, wedding expenses. These are all things you desire, and now something is entered into the equation that may take all that away. Do you see what's going on here? You want to please. You have these desires. You have these wants, these longings. And this is going to get in the way of that. And so abortion seems to be the only solution. Let me provide you a greater hope today. You will only be satisfied in life when you become and you come to know God as the greatest treasure. Do you see this here? It's a failure to be satisfied in God as your supreme love. All of these wants, all these desires, you can have all that and be miserable. 
You can have a job and plenty of sleep and a lot of money and be miserable. Those desires, those longings that lead you to abort do not satisfy. Only God will. And so the message, my plea with you today is not just, yes, value life because God is the author, but come to know this, you will never be satisfied in life until you come to embrace Jesus Christ as your supreme treasure. You may even be thinking about, what about the worst case scenarios? You know, you're saying, John, abortion is wrong. What about incest or rape or physical disabilities? I'll just pose this question. If, if it's wrong to put such a child to death after birth, then surely it's wrong to put that same child to death before its birth. And I would even take us to John chapter 9. Jesus has a conversation. Why was this man born blind? Do you know why he was born blind? Jesus says this. It's not that this man sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed. You realize when you get pregnant, you're going to go and you're going to go through the process and they can run all these tests on you now to show you, hey, give you percentages and chances on what might happen to your child. It might be born with Down syndrome or, or whatever. And then it's, it's in your court. Now, what are you going to do about this? Now, Lee and I, I'll be honest with you, we never ran any of the tests. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to run any of the tests. She's looking at me. Did we run, run of the test? What's that? We did have some blood work done. We had this conversation, though, our very first, when, when Ava was being born. And we were sitting back and forth, and we said, hey, I don't think we did with Ava. And basically our decision was this. No matter what news were found, it doesn't determine whether this child's going to be born or not. What determines whether a child is born is what God has done. And we see here in the man born blind, Jesus said, why was he born blind? So the works of God might be made manifest. How much more should we love not just those who are born, but those with physical disabilities, that the glory of God might be displayed to the world? Last truth I want to share with you today, I'll wrap up. We should value life because God judges justly, but forgives entirely. The last part of this chapter, beginning in verse 19, says this, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. You see David, who had his enemies that were running after him. And David wanted nothing to do with his enemies. He calls them here, God, slay the wicked. These are bloodthirsty men seeking to kill. He says, they speak against you with malicious intent. They mock God. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. What I want you to see here, first of all, is that God is the righteous judge. What does David do? He doesn't take things into his own hand. What does he say? God, you slay the wicked. And isn't an understanding of this. Look, there may be a lot of evils on this earth, but it's not my responsibility to judge the wicked. God is the righteous judge. And so I commit them into God's hands. This response to those that would disagree with me or us on this issue. Man, I will pray, I'll pursue, I'll fight, but God will judge them. God sees everything that we do. He knows what's happening to the unborn. He will 
judge, and this is what the scriptures say, he will, he will, he will judge the wicked. But that's not the last news that I want to leave with you. He judges, but he also forgives. God forgives entirely. He heals deeply. He restores completely. He redeems fully. We continue on here in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, if, if you will come today to Jesus Christ, he will take your judgment and put it on Jesus and you will get forgiven completely. God will judge every sin. Either you will pay for it or you will trust that Jesus pays for it. Those are the only two options. He is our rescue. Jesus is our rescue. Run to him, cling to him, embrace him while you have time. I love these last few verses, and then we'll wrap up. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. There is therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Has abortion hit you directly? This is great news. So for those of you that have experienced it, my plea to you today is find hope, find forgiveness, find mercy. But then for all of us, it is a plea today to fight to have greater passion, love, sacrifice for the cause of the unborn. You may be saying, okay, how can I do that? How can I respond? Well, I've got a few application points here. The first one, as I've shared already, is this. Man, receive forgiveness now. But the second one, learn about abortion. I want to point you to a website, www.abort73.com, which provides videos. It provides statistics. You can go to Massachusetts and find all the statistics in Massachusetts. Um, and you may say, man, what about all these vivid images and videos? Yes, you need to see them. Why is ultrasound at a, a crisis pregnancy? Because when, when they see these images, they realize this is a person. This is a work of God. It changes. Brandy could continue on probably giving examples of when people see these images when they do an ultrasound, that it just changes how they view life. Learn about this. Third thing, pray. Will you pray that God will deliver children, parents, doctors, nurses from the assault on God in support that you will know how to help? Pray. Third one, support daybreak. In the back back here, Brandy's got a table with some bottles on it. This isn't much. But what, what we want to encourage you to do is to grab a bottle and put spare change in here. I'm sure they wouldn't mind dollar bills either, or checks, or whatever you want to do. But they're just kind of meant for, hey, fill these up for a couple weeks with spare change and bring them back. We're going to do this for a month. Um, and then we're going to bring these back. I would encourage you, one way would be to go back and grab a bottle. And hey, this is a, fi this is a way financially I want to support them. Maybe you want to support them on a, on a greater financial scale. I know they ran a, some tea ads back in the fall. Um, they, they're, they're a non, you guys are a nonprofit organization. So it's people that believe in it, want to, man, support them. Um, there's also opportunities that you can volunteer. I think it, there's even some that have volunteered there. 
So go, Brandy will be in the back after the service. Go see her. You saw her web, their website. It's www.daybreakinc.org, right? You can go to their website. It's got all their resources. You may know people that have questions. You know, and instead of sending them to Planned Parenthood and Davis Square, man, send them to these guys. Um, so they're a great resource. Pray for them. Fifth thing, consider adoption. Will you consider adoption? You know, be asking, hey, what about all these unwanted kids? Well, you know, one of the greatest things that you can do is say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about adoption. You know what? Adoption costs money. But you know what? God has called us to radical living, which means it's for the glory and the good of God. Maybe that's through foster care. Maybe that's international. Would you consider that? Would you pray about it? And then lastly, serve unwed and underage moms. And would you maybe even open your home up for having these ladies to come in to comfort, to guide? Look, there are many more ways, but I think these are some specific ways that we can get about making much of God. And again, hear my point here. We want to make much of God. We are created in his image. It is about God's glory that's at stake here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the grace we found in Christ. God, we pray for your continued guidance here. God, give us greater concern and passion for the born and unborn this next year. God, would you lead us in how we should properly respond to make much of you? I pray in Christ's name, amen.